revisiting something that I've done before. Uh, as you may know, I, uh, I taught a lesson a couple months back to the teens uh, regarding the life of Joseph. And I've actually already preached uh, a message like this before. Uh, we're going to be doing another one. Uh, we're going to be uh, looking at the second lesson from that series, the Dreamer series. And uh, the title of this lesson is Haters. All right, Haters. Uh, our text is going to be in Genesis chapter 37. If we could all turn there. Genesis chapter 37, and we will be looking at uh, verses 12 to 36. Bit of a lengthy passage. And if uh, I can ask if you're able to, please stand as we read the word of God. Genesis chapter 37, and we will begin reading at verse 12. It says here, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said to them, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, uh, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, to uh, to deliver him to his father again." And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that, the, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother? And conceal his blood. Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. Then, were, uh, then there passed by Midianite, uh, Midianites merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed the kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now uh, whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces." And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for this uh, message that uh, these people are about to hear tonight. Lord, Lord, I pray that um, you uh, help us, Lord, to learn from the life of Joseph, Father. Lord, I thank you for uh, giving us examples in the Bible, Father, that we can use to learn uh, how to be uh, more like you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you be uh, with the rest of this evening, Father, and uh, please bless the message. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As humans, okay, as, as humans, we are all born dreamers, right? We all know what it's like to dream about what we could be or what we would like to accomplish. Now, of course, sometimes our dreams can, you know, take a detour when we get in our own way. And sometimes dreams can take a detour when other people do their best to throw obstacles in our path. And as we see here, that's what happened to Joseph. See, Joseph's God-given dreams of power and prominence and position took quite a detour at the hands of other people. Now, of course, there was never a moment when God was not in control of Joseph's life, but by looking at Joseph's brothers and the obstacles, we can learn valuable lessons about three obstacles that can keep us from dreaming for God. Now, some of the problems that Joseph's brothers had are the same that we Christians battle on a daily basis. Now, if if we don't learn to overcome these problems by being filled with the Spirit, we will find it hard to be all that we could be or accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. Now, point number one. We can see the first obstacle, the clouded perspective. The clouded perspective. There's a story told of Sabine Moreau, a 67-year-old Belgian woman who left home one morning to pick up a friend from a train station in Brussels, 93 miles away from her home. Now, Sabine input the address of the station into her GPS, but soon she became too distracted on her drive to notice the GPS directions were far from accurate. She blindly followed the instructions, and instead of a two-hour trip to Brussels, Sabine somehow ended up 900 miles away in Croatia. Now, while we may never know how this lady managed to end up so far from home before she even thought to ask for help, what's clear is that she had a perspective problem. And just like Sabine, the wrong perspective will take us so far down the wrong path that we abandon everything that we know to be right. If we're not careful, before long, we won't even recognize ourselves or know the way to make things right again. Letter A, we see that they abandoned their duty. His brothers abandoned their duty. The Bible says that one day Joseph's fathers uh, sent him to Shechem to check on his brothers. Now, this was no small task. Biblical scholars estimate the distance from Hebron to Shechem to be almost 50 miles, or in proper English, 80 kilometers. Now, maybe you could cover that distance at lightning speed if you're someone like Pastor, but, uh, but the trip would have taken Joseph at least, you know, the better part of his day. But when Joseph reached Shechem, his brothers were nowhere to be found. Instead, a stranger had to tell Joseph that his brothers had instead gone down to Dothan, a town that was 13 miles away. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why Joseph's brothers decided to go to Dothan, but we do know one thing, and that, uh, that was that they weren't supposed to be there, Right? They were supposed to be uh, tending uh, their father's flock in Shechem, but they had abandoned their duty in favor of a detour. Now, when we take our eyes off of God and his plan for us, we're almost certainly headed towards a detour in our lives. The perspective that we lose as a result can lead us to become disobedient and uh, abandon the things that we know are right. Proverbs uh, 28 verse 20 says, A faithful man shall abound with blessings. Letter B. We can see that they viewed Joseph with contempt. They viewed Joseph with contempt. How many of uh, us here tonight have uh, younger brothers or sisters? 
Right? Many of us know what it's like to grow up with a younger sibling that, you know, just knows exactly how to push our buttons. Now, we remember how irritating it was when maybe they'd followed us around all the time or, you know, constantly wanted us to play with them or, you know, wear our clothes. And it can get kind of annoying sometimes, right? Now, after he- having to hear about his special dreams and ha- after having to watch him open up his beautiful gift of that coat of many colors and having to live with the knowledge that Joseph was always going to be their father's favorite, Joseph's brothers thought he was more than just a nuisance. They hated him. They hated him. Now, uh, uh, we can only imagine their first thoughts when they saw their little brother had followed them all the way to Dothan. In his, you know, in his bright special coat, Joseph would have been really easy to spot. And the Bible says, in fact, that they saw him afar off, and they were far from happy to see him. Verse 19 reads, And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Now, they weren't just making, you know, a casual reference to the fact that Joseph had shared with them his dreams from God. This was a sarcastic remark, intending to show their anger and and, and, and intending to show their hatred for their brother. Now, Joseph was there as a representative of his father. And on some level, their anger came from guilt because they knew they weren't supposed to be there. They knew they weren't supposed to be at, at, at Dothan. They knew that they were supposed to be somewhere else. They knew they were supposed to be in Shechem uh, doing what their father had told them to do originally. Now, uh, just like Joseph's brothers, when our perspective is clouded, we begin to have contempt for the things of God and for the authority that he places in our lives. When we know that we aren't supposed to do something, it becomes a lot easier to, 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 to hate the people that do know what they're supposed to do. And Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they might do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Point number two. We see our second obstacle, the unguarded mind. The unguarded mind. Now, what I want us to do is I want you to think back to uh, when you were a kid. It might be a, you know, a lot of thinking for some of us, but try to think back all the way back to when you were a kid, right? Did you ever wish for superpowers like maybe the, you know, the ability to read minds or the ability to move things just by, just by thinking about it? Now, scientists and researchers have long argued that the human mind is more powerful beyond what we can even imagine and beyond the extent that most people even you know, use it. Now, science and technology have developed to the point where it is now imposs- uh, now it's, it's now possible for amputees to control the movement of a prosthetic limb just by thinking about it. And according to scientists, this is only a fraction of what the human mind is capable of. But just like the mind is able to do great and amazing and and wondrous things, it's also capable, as we know, of, of great evil. If left unguarded, our minds can lead us far away from God and far away from everything we know to be right. This is why God commands us to gird up our minds. Just uh, like we discipline our muscles through exercise, we are to discipline our minds by thinking right. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Letter A. We see they allowed their thoughts to dwell on evil. Okay, they allowed their thoughts to dwell on evil. Long before they saw Joseph coming in the distance, his brothers were thinking about what they wanted to do to him. They thought about how much they hated him, how much they, how much they hated hearing about his dreams, how much they hated hearing his father always saying that he was, he was the favorite, and they thought about how they could hurt him. And then their evil thoughts became an evil plan. 
in verse 18, it says, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. See, Christian, uh, sin, sin always begins in the mind. The Bible teaches us that the things that we think about eventually work their way to become actions. Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. In Luke 6, 45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of his heart his mouth speaketh. The devil wants you to dwell on wrong thoughts because he knows that eventually those thoughts will become words. And eventually those words will become actions. And eventually those actions will become character. And eventually that character will ultimately become your destiny. When you, uh, what you are is, is a result of what you think about. See, the answer to changing who you are then is to change what, what you think about. See, uh, Romans 12.2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the what? By the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove uh, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We see in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, and whatsoever things are honest, and whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. It's, it's so easy to think wrong thoughts because we just assume that nobody knows, right? No one knows when we think wrong thoughts about other people. No one knows how uh, I feel about this person. No one knows the thoughts that I have towards him or the thoughts that I have towards her, right? No one knows when we think uh, of, those, of those thoughts that we know we ought not think about, right? Uh, well, we know that it's wrong. Psalms 94.11 says, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Are you thinking about doing something sinful, right? Are you allowing your mind to dwell on something that you know that you shouldn't be dwelling on? Be careful. Guard your mind. Protect your thoughts by protecting your eyes and your ears from seeing or hearing about sin and safeguard your mind with God's words. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Letter B. They compromise their convictions. They compromise their convictions. Now, while this point uh, specifically applies to one brother, Reuben, we can see how compromised convictions can lead to a detour in our dreams for God. See, all of Jacob's sons who had been brought up with the knowledge about God and the knowledge to do what was right, uh, yet they had allowed their thoughts to shape their character to the extent that they were literally planning on how to best murder their little brother. Now, of, of all the brothers, Reuben had the best intentions. He, uh, he didn't actually want to kill Joseph. After some of the brothers grabbed Joseph to carry out their plan, he rescued his brother. In verse 21, it says, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him. But rather than, you know, stand up and tell them, hey, you know, this is wrong, we, we shouldn't be doing this, Reuben instead made a compromise. He figured, you know, throwing him into a pit wouldn't be as bad as killing him, so let's just do that. And the idea of leaving him to starve or to get eaten by animals, I'm sure that'll make my, my other brothers happy. Now, he may have also reasoned that he could always come back after the brothers had calmed down a little and rescue Joseph again. He thought he could handle this compromise. He thought that he alone could control the situation. But of course, we know that it quickly escalated way out of his control. One of the biggest traps that us Christians face 
is the matter of compromising convictions. And to these resolves, the, the, the devil says, you know, okay, don't do that, but do this little thing instead, right? Don't, uh, don't drink and don't do drugs, but, you know, it's okay to go to a party and hang out with people that do those things. Or, you know, don't get involved in a wrong relationship, okay? Don't do that, but it's okay if, you know, if you watch that inappropriate TV show or if you watch that uh, inappropriate movie. As, as long as you're, as you're not doing this thing, these things are okay, right? And that's a lie that we know the devil tries to plant in our minds because sin, no matter what degree, is never okay. Now, uh, you may also think that you can handle the compromise. But like Reuben, you'll soon find out that you aren't strong enough to control the situation once you've compromised your convictions. Now, although you may have good intentions, sin is far too powerful. This is why the Bible warns us to not give place to the devil. We see it in uh, Ephesians 4.27, nice and simple. Neither give place to the devil. Refuse to compromise. Don't justify sin. Be faithful to do what you know is right. We see in this uh, day and age, uh, more Christians starting to compromise their convictions. And it starts by creeping in really slowly, you know. Uh, you, you know, you can still listen to this song. I mean, it's still a Christian song, right? And we know that it doesn't stop there. Or maybe, you know, uh, I, I'm at a party, everybody's drinking, one sip won't hurt. One sip won't hurt. It never ends at one sip, does it? doesn't stop at, the, uh, at just that one sip. See, compromising your convictions will eventually compromise uh, your walk with God. The smallest compromise, no matter how uh, futile you think it is, no matter how insignificant you think that small, that, that, that tiny compromise is, that can have drastic, and I mean drastic, effects on your relationship with God. Point number three, the third obstacle. We see the hardened heart. The hardened heart. The Bible refers to the heart as a part of us that thinks and the part of us that feels and has the power to either reject God or to accept him and his plans for our lives. In our hearts, we hear and respond to the truth of God's word or we turn away uh, to follow our own desires and rebellion or pride. See, God often likens the state of our hearts to that of clay. We see in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. We are the clay and thou art potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. If you've ever seen a potter work with clay, you know that clay is only useful when it's, when it's wet, when it's soft, because it can be molded and shaped however the potter wishes. See, clay that's uh, dry and clay that's hard, and uh, that's, it's, it's, it's neither flexible nor ad adaptable, and it's not very useful. In the same way, God can use hearts that are softened by his word and pliable to his will. But sin hardens our hearts to the point that it becomes difficult for God to use us. Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, uh, point, uh, letter A. We see their consciences were seared. Okay, their consciousness, their consciences, sorry, were seared. John chapter 16, verses 8 and 13. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide uh, you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Christian, it's possible to make your conscience ineffective by, ignored it, uh, by ignoring it continually in order to sin. The Bible calls that a seared conscience. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. 
speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The picture that we see there is uh, uh, of numbness that occurs when you burn your skin with a hot iron. See, if the burn is severe enough after the, the initial pain, you'll lose feeling in that area because of the damage to the tissue or to the skin. Now, to have a seared conscience is to be at a place in your life where sin no longer seems to have an effect on you. You become so accustomed to it that you, uh, that you no longer feel guilty. You no longer feel convicted. And Christian, can I just warn you that if you get to that point, to get on your knees and ask God to uh, pull you back out because to come to the point where sin no longer becomes sin to you is a very dangerous place to be in. To be at a point to where you uh, used to do things that you used to feel so guilty about, right? And then uh, eventually you do it so much that it becomes a normal thing to you. It's a very dangerous point. Now, uh, that certainly seemed to be the case for Joseph's brothers. See, the Bible says that after they threw him into the pit with no food or no water, it says they, they sat down to eat bread. After they, you know, grabbed their brother, kind of roughed him up a little, threw him down in, in, into a pit, knowing full well that to them he would die. With full knowledge that their brother was uh, to starve or to uh, uh, die of thirst, they sat down and had a meal, right? You know, uh, these guys just sat down for lunch like it was no big deal, right? They could hear their brother who was trapped in a pit, and I'm sure Joseph didn't just sit there in silence, right? I mean, after he got thrown in, I'm sure he didn't just kind of sit there and say, okay, what's going to happen, right? I'm sure that at that, at that time, he was probably scratching at the walls. He was probably screaming, you know, pleading for his brothers to save him because these were his brothers, right? These were his flesh and blood. They, they had grown up together, and here they are murdering him, right? Now, uh, d- despite all that, you know, his, his brothers, they just tuned him out and went about their business. Now, later, when the brothers saw a group of Ishmaelites headed their way, Judah piped up to suggest that they not kill him after all, because it says, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Now, rather than to speak out of conviction and say that, you know, what we're doing is wrong, Judah was essentially saying, you know, there's a better way to use him than kill him, right? Now, a seared conscience is a sign of a hardened heart. Don't let your heart get so hard that sin is no big deal to you. Don't get so used to the uh, inappropriate language and the filthy jokes that you're surprised when someone else comes to take offense. Don't become so callous to people uh, treating others unjustly to the point where, you know, you laugh and you join in. If you feel yourself becoming hardened to sin, it's not too late. Hebrews 3.15 says, While it is said today, if, we, uh, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. But now, O Lord, thou art the Father, we are the clay, and thou art potter, and we all are the work of thy hand. Spend time with God. Ask his forgiveness and make it right. Pray that he will soften your hard heart so that he can use it however he sees fit. Letter B. This is a big one. They believed they could cover up their sin. They believed that they could cover up their sin. As if selling Joseph into slavery were not enough, the brothers, you know, compounded their sin by lying to their father about what had happened. The Bible says that they took Joseph's coat and they, and they killed the kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood so that jo- uh, Jacob would think that Joseph had been eaten by wild animals. See, they were so confident in their, in their evil plan that they even helped to comfort their father when, when he grieved Joseph's death. 
Now, no doubt Joseph's brothers were pretty pleased with themselves for having concocted such a great plan for getting rid of their brother. It was a plan that had required very little of them, actually made them some money, and solved the problem of having to hear about Joseph's dreams or having to see how much, uh, how, how much their father loved him more than them. Plus, it was the perfect plan because no one would ever know what they'd done, or so they thought. God is always watching. See, God is always watching, and God always knows. Numbers uh, 32, 23. And be sure your sin will find you out. And Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso con uh, confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Now, as we close off our lesson here, at this point in Joseph's story, things are starting to seem pretty bleak. All he'd done was obey his father and go check on his brothers. He did what he was supposed to do. And for his trouble, what he received in return was to be sold into slavery by a group of men that would have had no hesitation to kill Joseph if it would have benefited them in some way. But notice where verse 36 tells us Joseph ended up. It says, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. When Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave, he was as good as dead to them. In fact, they let their uh, father believe that he was dead. Now, little did they know they were playing right into God's hands to further Joseph's dreams. Although their actions were wicked, God would turn their evil plot into something good in Joseph's life. Now, from Potiphar's house, Jacob would go to prison and then to Pharaoh's palace uh, to be named uh, second in command. So, sorry, not Jacob. Joseph would go to prison and then to Pharaoh's palace to be named second in command over the entire nation. The act that, brother, uh, that Joseph's brothers intended for evil through their clouded perspective, through their unguarded minds and their hardened hearts, God meant for good. And God was fully in control. I love how this perfectly uh, ties into what Pastor was talking about, right? Be content, right? Be content. Maybe you're supposed to be in the seat that God put you in, right? Joseph was uh, probably uh, doubting a lot, right? I mean, all, all he did uh, was serve God and, and, and do what he knew to be right. And yet here, uh, here he was, right? Sold in, in, into slavery. And we know that after that, you know, it doesn't just end there. He uh, is falsely accused of uh, a crime regarding Potiphar's wife. And then afterwards, what happens? He's sold into prison. Then he's stuck in prison. And then after, he meets uh, uh, the chief butler and the baker in prison. And what happens, right? He makes them promise to uh, tell the Pharaoh about him and to uh, uh, let him out, and they don't do anything, right? He's stuck in prison. And through all those trials in Joseph's life, through all of those difficulties, through all those hardships that he, ex uh, that he experienced, I'm sure that there were some points where he thought, I don't think this is where I'm supposed to be, right? I'm sure that, you know, maybe sitting in his cold and dark prison cell, having uh, barely uh, enough food and and. and, and uh, barely enough water to survive, he was probably thinking, you know, I think God's abandoned me, right? I don't think, I don't think, I, I, I don't think God has control of this anymore. I, I don't think God knows what he's doing. And yet we know through this story that God knew exactly what he was doing. Every single event, every single word that was spoken, every single action that was done, every single grain of sand, every single molecule of oxygen was in the precise place that God wanted it to be. And I think that's so beautiful. That through such a chaotic story, through such a chaotic experience from a boy who was not that much younger than me, that God meant it all for good. Now how about you? Do you feel that your dreams for God are being uh, thwarted by others? 
Or perhaps you're setting obstacles in your path uh, for your own dreams by letting your mind go unguarded or by hardening your heart towards the things of God. If it, seems that you, uh, if it seems to you that others are constantly throwing obstacles in your path, remember Joseph. Remember, uh, remember that God is uh, bigger than the greatest obstacles. Hold to the dreams that he has given you, and more importantly, hold to him. Be faithful to him, and he will help you to overcome the obstacles. If you're uh, setting up your own obstacles by allowing those little sins of your mind and those little sins of your heart into your life, remember Joseph's brothers. Don't follow the path that, that, that they took, but instead safeguard your heart and mind and refuse to allow those, uh, quote, little sins. Refuse to allow those sins and choose instead to dream and to live for God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you um, for the lesson that we could learn from Joseph.